And it would seem that that would be the end of the story. It was an absolute disaster. But God doesn't give up easily, thank God. The reason I'm here now, standing before you, is because God didn't give up on me when I turned my back on him. The story continued to unfold. And in this time, the prophets began to speak about one who was going to come. A a great leader, but more than that. A great warrior, but more than that. A great teacher. Yeah, but more than that. One who was to be called the anointed one. One who was going to be God-like, but more than that. And then last week, Rick stepped up to the plate and preached on the kingdom of God. Talked about the coming of Jesus, who is more than God-like, more than a teacher, more than a warrior, more than a king. He is God himself. God came among us, Emmanuel. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, and of course you know that. God himself coming among us. And with him coming, with him coming something more happened. It wasn't just a divine rescue mission, and it certainly is a divine rescue mission, and we're going to hear more about that in just a few moments. But it was actually the establishing of what one might call the kingdom of God. That actually as, as Jesus came and walked among us, he was the pioneer of a new covenant, a new deal, a new beginning whereby God established his kingdom, his rule and his reign. And uh, God was able to, uh, through Jesus, bring in this, this whole new kingdom. So that's pretty much brought us up to where we are now. Today, my subject is the cross of Christ. Well, you know, any preacher, any, anyone who's done a Bible study even, when you begin to think about the cross of Christ... You know, I'm terribly sorry, this is so bad, but I'm very distracted by that little one um, playing in the back there. I wonder whether the mum or the dad wouldn't mind just taking them outside. I'm having difficulty thinking. I'm sorry to be so rude, but if we could do that, thank you very much. Forgive me. When one comes to the cross of Christ, what happens is that preachers get paralyzed. It is such an Everest, such an Everest of a thing. It is the, the kind of talk that, that makes you quake in your shoes because it is quite literally, quite simply, the, the epicenter of history. Often, you know, I, I think visually and often when I think of it, I, I see almost, you know, a great map, but more than a map. It, it's geographical, but it's historical. It's, it's all the affairs of man. But it's as if God has taken the cross and stabbed the very center of it, pinning it to the wall behind. And now this great map, this swirl of history spins around it. Everywhere is in movement, everywhere is in flux, but there is stillness and focus in the very center there. And that's the cross. It's as if time stops still at that point. We've been telling this linear story, the ups and the downs, and there's more to come. But for that moment, for those three hours, it's as if time itself holds its breath. And to preach it, quite frankly, does feel like an Everest. 
I, I come to you aware of my own need of God's forgiveness, aware of my need of his patience, of his forbearance. I, I, I need his grace. I need his mercy. So who am I to speak of such things? Who am I? And any speaker or preacher or teacher or leader worth his salt will be aware of that paradox, that dilemma and that tension. But when we speak of a dilemma, God himself, I don't know whether he experienced it as such, but God himself found himself on the horns of a dilemma. Uh, now, now what is a dilemma? A dilemma is, is, is when we have a couple of choices, both of which may be good or bad or indifferent, but there's somehow there's an equality in them, and, and, and yet they seem to be in tension with one another. They seem to be opposing one another. And, and we find ourselves in this thing we call a dilemma from time to time. It may be, shall I have an eclair or shall I have a meringue? Oh, I'll just have both. <laughs> Problem solved. But actually, dilemmas are the kind of things that keep you awake at night. You know, let's be honest here. For some of you, it may be, shall I pay the gas bill this month or shall I pay the electricity bill? I can only do the one. Shall I pay the mortgage? Or shall I feed and clothe my family? I mean, these are... Terrible dilemmas. These are real things that keep us awake at night. And then there's that old chestnut which I, 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 I've heard from time to time. Darling, I love you. I will always love you. But I just can't be with you anymore. That is a horrible one. I could spend time on that one. This dilemma thing, when it comes up, is very perplexing. But God himself, at least from our perspective, found himself on the horns of a dilemma. And the horns were basically to do with his very character. And it's important we try and grasp this, because once, if we can grasp a little bit of this, we will find ourselves amazed at how God actually resolved this dilemma. You see, part of God's character is, I, I guess, I hope we all know, is that he is love. Now notice what I've said there. God is love. He's not loving. He is love. My, my wife has always been very, very, very loving towards our children. Uh, I, I honestly married her uh, in part because I believe she would be a wonderful mother to my children and she is that and she's sort of busily note writing notes and <laughs> not making eye contact and looking embarrassed. <laughs> um, she is very loving but she isn't love. There are times if you catch Felicity on a bad day that quite frankly want to stay out of her way. I don't mean that disrespectfully, sweetheart, you know that. It's true for all of us. We all have character traits. We have dispositions. My wife's, one of my wife's dispositions is that she's very loving towards our children and our grandchildren, kids in general. 
She's just the way she's wired. But God isn't just loving. He is love. He can't stop being love. If he was to stop, he, he can no more stop being love than I can make my hair go green with a click of a finger. He can't switch it on or switch it off depending upon his disposition or whether he had a bad hair day or whatever. He is love. And I fancy we know a little bit about love. Love is kind. <laughs> love is patient. Love is forbearing. Love is merciful. Love believes the best. Love is always rooting for you. Love is, fill in the blanks, like some Hallmark card, isn't it? Love is. God is love. And actually, it wouldn't take a rocket science to, to reflect upon what we have taught over these last five weeks and say, yeah, flip it, heck. Talk about a bucket full of patience. Talk about a bucket full of forbearance. God, you amaze me. I'd have just burnt them to a crisp on day one and be done with it. You are so loving. Well, more than that, God is love. That's one tension, one aspect of this dilemma. The other is this. And we don't like this one so much. We'll take the love. But God is just. God is holy. He isn't sometimes just because he's a justice of the peace and gets paid from nine till five to be just in the magistrate's course. He is just. He is holy. He is righteous. He can no more change that about himself than I can click my fingers and turn my hair green. He is just. So when there is injustice in the world, when there is injustice perpetrated against you, did you know that you had a father in heaven that wriggles on the throne and says, that ain't right. It galls him. You thought no one was looking. You thought you were just a victim. You thought no one wriggled and writhed. Pinned as you were by that pain, that injustice, God does, because God is just. And yet there is another aspect of injustice. When the creator blesses the created and the created rebels against the creator, you have a justice issue. You have an issue whereby you know, a wrong is done to God himself. Now what would we have God do? How, how is that going to you know, work out? How can we, as the perpetrators of this injustice against God, how can we be saved? How can we save ourselves? Well, the way God resolved this was absolutely astonishing. Remarkable. Unprecedented. Either before or since. And it kind of hinges, or one way of expressing it, let me put it that way, is in the title, Lamb of God. You see, part of the whole system in those days of worship was, was sacrifice. You were feeling bad, or you'd done something wrong, so you bought a, a lamb, or you bought an ox, or you bought doves, or whatever was the right sacrifice, and that animal died in order to cleanse you 
And it went on and on and on and on. Not just in Israeli society, the world over. In fact, even today, Christians, faith people, will talk about offering a sacrifice of praise or a sacrifice of thanksgiving. The giving of a sacrifice to substitute for something that we have done is as old as time itself. But God became the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God. This Jesus of whom, jo- of, of whom Rick spoke last week, he came as the Lamb of God. And what was special about Jesus as the Lamb of God was... First of all, because he is God, Jesus is the Son of God, he is perfect. He is sinless. You know, we're having a great big clear up at home at the moment. We're just sort of having a sort out. It kind of happens every year as Christmas begins to approach and we're looking forward to family joining us. You know, a little bit of decorating gets done, a few little jobs around the house gets done. I was even mowing the lawn yesterday, would you believe it? I don't know why that. But anyway, I was. Things get sorted, things get clean, things get, you know, cupboards get... It's just one of those kind of things that we do as a little tradition. I know it's weird, but forgive me, but bear with me. But one of the things, of course, you have to do is you have to get cleaning materials. You have to make sure that, you know, the cleaning materials you use are going to do the job. And in particular, those floor cloths or those mops, they've got to be clean. Otherwise, you're going to be just putting more dirt on than you're taking off. The thing about the Lamb of God, he is sinless. He's God himself. He is actually the sinned against. He is sinless. God. But he is also human. He's also man. God, man. So it is a man who is offering this sinless offering. It is man But God, who is sinless, who has come together in order to wipe us clean eternally, he dies so that we can live. Now at this point, we're just going to take a moment or two out just to uh, savor this moment. And I don't want to get... Unduly heavy. And I, I, but I thought to myself, I, I've really got to use a little bit of The Passion of the Christ, you know, that Mel Gibson film. And I watched tons of it and thought, oh, yeah, we've got to have that, got to have that, got to have that. And of course, it's very graphic and very disturbing in places, and rightly so, because <laughs> that's the way it was. But we're just going to pick up this moment, just three or four minutes now, of Jesus actually on the cross we've been through the torture we've been through the all the spite we've been through the crucifixion itself but we're here we have Jesus on the cross this still moment in history let's just watch this for a moment too the reason I chose that piece because of Jesus's words on the cross it is accomplished. What is accomplished? It is accomplished. What we know now was accomplished on the cross was God's salvation plan for us. 
In fact, it was always on his heart to do, right from the very dawn of time. It wasn't that God, in exasperation, thought or said, okay, I'll have to do it myself then. This was always God's plan to resolve this dilemma of his character, the love and the justice. Terrible judgment was meted out against man. That man upon the cross. Yes, physical punishment, that's the obvious one. But the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The withdrawal of God's presence. He literally was pushed off, rejected, sent into a godless place. A place where there is no favor, no blessing, no patience, no nothing. That's what that man, Jesus, endured upon the cross. He died so that we can live. But God on the cross, God on the cross is God love. It's him stepping in in order to save us. Many parents will identify with this. Once you begin a family, once you start a family, for many of us, there is very little that we wouldn't want to do for our children. We would take a bullet for them. If there was some way we could give ourselves so that they could be, they could prosper and not go through pain and disappointment and failure and rejection, we would do that. Many parents have that within them. This is what we begin to see or glimpse is in the very heart of God. God himself, seeing that we were incapable of living with him, died for us. Just extraordinary. Just amazing. As I said, this was foretold. It wasn't some horrible accident that took place to a very nice guy. And I haven't got time to read the whole reading, but Isaiah 52 is, comes to mind. And I'll just read the first few verses here where it says here, See, my servant, this is beginning verse 13. We might have the script, thank you. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him, just as we were appalled then at that image. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of a man and is marred beyond any human likeness, so will he sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they were not told. What, for what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. There's a promise in that, that even though we barely can get our heads around what God has done for us, there will be something deep within us that knows that it's true. Something will begin to stir within us. Where we say, God has done this for me. 
Verse 53, the writer carries on this theme. Who, who could believe our message? Uh, you know, to who, whom has known what God has done? Verse 3, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we, we esteem him not. But surely he took up our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. And yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our sins. Isn't this amazing? A thousand years before it took place, God was saying, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to take place. So it wasn't an accident. It wasn't just sort of thinking on your feet because it all went pear-shaped. It is accomplished. Jesus was accomplishing God's plan. And what does this mean for us? How does it cash out for us? I'm trying to bring it home now. Well, you know what it means? A royal pardon. A royal pardon. Romans 3 puts it like this. And if this doesn't immediately kind of catch you, I'm hoping my last reading will. Romans 3 puts it like this. But now a way of being right with God. This is 3.21. Now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through good deeds, through trying really hard, through starting a charity for the poor somewhere, for living a really good life, by being loving all the time. All of these things are good, but no, this righteousness from God doesn't come from any of those things. This righteousness comes through faith, believing in Christ. And it's for all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified, made right. The, the, the royal pardon is ours freely as a gift. We call it grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Roman church beginning to unpack, to wrestle with this incredible resolution of the dilemma that is, is God. Justice and mercy, love, righteousness. And then finally, in the book of the Ephesians, I think it's spelt out all the more clearly. This Salvation, this good news, this rightness with God is a gift. The gift. And in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 10, the writer catches it up like, like this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. And all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were drawn, we were nature by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace, the gift, you have been saved through faith, through belief, through trusting in. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we're God's workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The very center point, the linchpin of history. God kept it close to his chest, as it were, but came as a rescuer. The perfect man offers to God a just recompense for our sins. But the perfect man is God himself. He steps in and rescues us. And now, having won this great victory, without any angst, cynicism, sarcasm, bitterness, or anything else, any other kind of negative aspect or attitude you might care to mention, he spreads his arms wide and says, come to me. Come home to me. I've opened a way for you. Back into the Garden of Eden. Back into that relationship with God. And this time, it's eternal. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up now. But as they do that, why don't we all stand? I'm going to pray. I hope that that talk has set you thinking. I hope it's encouraged you. It may be that you've never heard anything quite like that before. Maybe you thought that it was all about being good. Try harder. Come on, get your act together. Maybe you've even made little life resolutions. One day, one day, one day. I'm going to live up to what I want to be, let alone what God wants to be. Well, the message today is this. Yeah, live a good life, please. But you know what? God stands among us today to forgive us. Justice and mercy meet on the cross. It's been dealt with. There is now nothing that, can, that prevents you from knowing God as your Father the lover of your soul and your saviour. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you to you. It's just astounding that, that you, a just God, the judge of all men, should then take off your judge's wig and clothes and go to the hangman's noose yourself in order to set the prisoner free. But that's... That's what you've done. 
And we say,